So to continue our time of worship and to consider what the Lord has for us today, we uh, went all over Midtown and we gathered questions uh, that you'd like to be answered on a day like today. When we gather together as a congregation, uh, what questions would you like for us to tackle? Now, if you're sitting there this morning and saying, nobody asked me to contribute a question, let me tell you why you weren't asked to contribute a question. Because you were one of those people in junior high that whenever you had Q&A at youth group, you always asked that question that you, you prayed, please let them read that question out loud, all right? So for all you jokers, for all you people that would like to put in here, you know, how many boogers can an angel pick, you know, or something like that. <laughs> so we tackle, we, we're going to tackle some of the questions that we've gathered. Uh, questions that float around this community. One of the questions that I often hear is, when are we going to grow up and build a church? You know, let's think about that for a minute because it seems like a reasonable question. I mean, you don't have to go more than about three blocks before you run into all these church buildings. I mean, uh, the guy Frank over at First Baptist, a good friend, that's a beautiful church that was built about 100 years ago. And then if you go to downtown Prez, which is another few uh, kin over there and a few more blocks away, great beautiful church, uh, stained glass windows, big pews, Egyptian architecture. Have you ever been in there? Go online. It will blow your mind, all right? And uh, just churches all over the place. And it seems like a reasonable thing to do. Isn't that what churches do? That when you get a critical mass together, you start a building fund and you start raising money for bricks and sticks. And sooner or later, you have a committee that is decorating the parlor and a committee of people that are choosing uh, the steeple and all that stuff. Why aren't we doing that? Matter of fact, doesn't that uh, constitute that we finally come of age as a church? That we've grown up, that we've left our church planning adolescence behind and now we're mature because look what we have. I even heard it said this, how do you expect to leave a legacy if you don't build a building? Well, let me just tackle a few things because a building is not a bad idea. I mean, because as a missional church, like we just saw in the video, and our desire is to leave and go out into the community, I know that when I talk to unchurched people in Nashville that don't wake up on Sunday morning to go to church, what they're really hoping is that another church would build another big building that they could go to. <laughs> don't you hear that? Or, you know, I've also heard that the Holy Spirit really needs stained glass before he can really work in people's lives. That's biblical. You know, I, I am joking, but uh, there's something serious here. Because what if, and I want you to grab this this morning, what if instead of us have a mindset of building a church, what if we are the church? What if you are the church? What if, instead of building a building with bricks and sticks, our philosophy and our vision and our theology and our own love for the Word tells us that we build the church every Sunday at 12 South and down here? We are building a church. We're building you. You know, we often say down here, if you go to church, it's over in about an hour, hour and a half. But if you are the church, then the real adventure begins when you leave this building. When you leave Rocket Town or when you leave 12 South. 
Because what if we are the church? What are the ramifications of that? Listen to uh, the Apostle Peter when he talked to this in chapter 2 of his first book. He said, You are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging to God, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you've received mercy. What if? What if we really begin to believe that as the church, we're now a chosen people? We're a royal priesthood. We're those that have been called together to form God's holy nation. That truly, we're the ones that have been given mercy. If that doesn't grab you, listen to how the Apostle John put it. In 1 John chapter 3, he said, How great is the love the Father has lavished on us that we should be called children of God. Then he goes on to say, And that's what we are. Children of God. The reason the world doesn't know us is it did note him. Dear friends, we are children of God. And what we will be has not yet been made known. But we know that when he appears, we shall be like him. For we shall see him as he is. And everyone who has this hope in him purifies himself just as he is pure. What does that mean? That we are the church. That we are a holy priesthood. That we are the ones that he has gathered together. That we are his kids. That we're his family. That we're his bride. You know, if that's true, it might even change the way we pray. For example, you know, we might stop praying certain prayers like, Lord, will you be with us? I mean, think about that. Because if I understand the gospel, then I don't need to pray that anymore. Because the Lord has promised me that he's always with us. He's never going to leave me. He's never going to forsake me. Or how about this prayer? Lord, will you show your love to us? Well, if what we just read was true, then the Lord is constantly showing his love toward us. Or how about this one? Lord, will you give me peace? You know, that prayer doesn't work anymore. Because if we're his people, if we're his children, he's given us already his peace. We have his peace. See, the journey of us together is not one of breaks and sticks. The journey of us together is for us to begin to awaken each other to the reality of what has already taken place. If you're in Christ, we need to awaken. We need to open our eyes. We need to begin to see what God has already done and learn to use the things that he's already given us. Like, Lord, how do, I, how do I move into the peace that you've already given me? Lord, how do I rest in the love that you have lavished upon me? Lord, how do I acknowledge your presence with me and your Holy Spirit's presence even in here or when I leave this building? How do we use the faith that you've already given us? How do we learn how to repent and trust You, instead of listening to the lying ghost that we talked about last week. See, what's remarkable is if we are the church, then we're not living to find love and purpose and reason. We're living as those that have already been found by love, already have a purpose, and already have a reason. It's a beautiful thing. You know, last week uh, here we were talking some about the lying ghost in Jonah chapter 2, and we were talking about the freedom that we have Uh, in Christ. And I was talking about when my kids were little, 
for some crazy reason, uh, you know, like all parents seem to do, we want our kids to grow up faster than they want to grow up. So we take them down to the deep end of the pool and we put them on the diving board and they've got floaties on their arms and we say, no, jump to me, really? So, you know, I'm treading water as a dad and my 40-year-old child's about to jump on my head and I'm like, God, this is fun, isn't it? And so they jump in and, you know, and they're scared because they're in water over their head and they don't know really whether they can trust you because of the whole Santa Claus thing. No, that's a whole other story, all right? And so they're, they're frightened because they're in a situation that's new to them. But what's crazy is when they begin to relax and they begin to realize that I'm not hanging on to my dad uh, and I can stop choking him now. My dad's hanging on to me. And dad is trustworthy. And dad is the one that called me to jump into his arms. And now that I've landed in his arms and I relax, I'm free now. I'm free to enjoy this. And that's when they start getting crazy, you know, and catch you in the nose with an elbow. And, you know, they're yelling at their friends and splashing you and you're drowning. But our father has us. He really does. And as the church, he's calling us to be the church that's free. Be the church that already has all that he's given us. Live in that. And that's what this community is about. It's what the 12 South community is about, is we long and pray for those of you that know Christ to begin to experience the transformation of understanding who you are. The awakening of understanding what the Lord is doing for you and what he's done for you. The awakening to the power that is yours that that Jesus even says is the same power that rose him from the dead is the same power that's working in us, his church. Listen to 2 Corinthians chapter 3. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we who with unveiled faces all reflect. Now let me stop there, because the image that we have here from the Apostle Paul is that he's looking in a mirror. That this image that's being reflected back to us, grasp this. He is looking into a mirror. And what is the mirror telling him? It's reflecting the Lord's glory. That we are being transformed into his likeness with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. Do you grasp that? The Lord is saying, look in the mirror and behold the glory of the Lord. Really? Like a lot of us, we, we look in the mirror and we behold the disdain we have for why did God make me look this way? And Paul is saying, no, you're being transformed in the very likeness of Christ. Behold the glory. We're the church. We're the living stones. So here at Midtown, you know, we're not striving to build a building with sticks and bricks. We're striving to partner with God in building you, the living stones of the church. That together we build a temple for our Lord where his spirit dwells. Okay, there's a long answer to a short question. So let's go on to more deeper questions. One of these questions that we were asked that we felt needed some answering was, why did Russ cut his hair? I think, uh, I think there's something that you should see that, uh, <laughs> if you don't know Russ, he, he started our service, he's the pastor at 12 South, and I just want to say, Russ, I love this, dude, that's just like sweetness, wow, 
Man, I'm thinking Van Halen. Wait, oh, don't miss the earring. All right. <laughs> Where are you, Russ? All right, we love you, man, even more now. Is that a mullet? No? Is it? Okay. Thank you. <laughs> the next question that uh, we'll pull out of the jar is, what's up with this small group thing? I mean, we talk about small groups here all the time. We talk about you getting in them, you know, and growing in them. And for about half of you, you're, you're not necessarily in a small group. You've not really taken that leap. You're like, oh, yeah, I know. I mean, you know, we don't do Sunday school. We have small groups. And you're thinking, you know, really, what's the big deal? Like, I've got a group of friends, you know, that I talk to from time to time. I mean, there's about 200 of them, and they're on Facebook. But hey, they're serious, you know? We're close. I post pictures. They post pictures. We Photoshop and put ourselves in each other's pictures. Let me tell you what the big deal is. You know, a couple of weeks ago, when we were talking about 1 Corinthians chapter 8, we started in the first verse where Paul said, knowledge puffs up like a balloon, but love builds up. There's something that we believe that is central to everything that we do here at Midtown, and it's this, that if all you ever do in your journey with Christ is come and learn, uh, you're puffed up. What Jesus and Paul is saying here is really simple, is that your ability to experience and to see Jesus is limited by your ability to see me and to see each other and to see yourself. What Paul is saying is you can have all the theology in the world and all the knowledge in the world, but that doesn't necessarily build you up as the church. Until I step into the journey, and get this, until I step into the journey where I ask a group of people to love me. Isn't that crazy? That we would join a small group and we would say to that small group, you need to love me. And the reason that we need to say that to a group of people is because you're lousy at being loved. I'm lousy at being loved. We have to learn how to be loved. And we have to enter into the hard journey. I can tell you, when I go to the grocery store and I get behind someone that's pulling out of their back pocket a whole wad of food stamps. Matter of fact, I'll tell you this. About two months ago, I was at Walmart and I was behind this lady and she had kids crawling all over her carts and everything. And she's loading everything up and it took them about 20 minutes to wrangle the kids. And when the lady rang it up, she gave her the total and she looked around and she goes, okay, I don't have that much money. And she started taking, okay, take this off. And she'd give one thing to every kid that would go scurrying through the store and put it where I don't know, you know? But I'm sitting there and what's going on inside of me is I never want to be in that place. I don't ever want to be at a register and say to somebody, I don't have enough. I don't want to ever be so needy that I'm looking around me and saying, is there anybody here that can help me? I don't. But yet the whole journey of the gospel is God has designed you to where you're not a temple on your own. God is building a house together. We are living stones. But together we become the house of God. You need each other. And you need to learn how to be loved. And you need to learn how to be needy. Because the people in this community have what you need. How are you going to see Jesus? When we realize we need Jesus. And how are we going to see Jesus in a small group when we realize that God often works through each other? 
another thing that we have to learn is you need me. Not just learning to be loved, but also learning to love. Because when I learn how to love you, because trust me, you are hard to love. If you don't believe that, either you're not married yet, or you have a very small (laughs) understanding of your own art. Trust me. I mean, look in the mirror sometimes. If you don't see the glory of the Lord, you see somebody that you have a hard time loving, right? Now ask somebody else to enter into that journey. And when I learn to love you, when I learn to love through your messiness, when I learn how to ask your forgiveness, when I learn to ask you to forgive me, when we learn to walk through this journey of this is not easy, but I'm going to carry your burdens and you're going to carry my burdens and we're going to walk through this muddy road together, guess what the Lord begins to do? He begins to reveal himself. And everything that we teach here on Sunday morning begins to take life to it. Everything that we teach throughout the week begins to take life to it. Because knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. And we don't want you to be a lopsided Christian. We don't want you to be a church out there that just knows a bunch of truth, because that's abusive. We want you to be somebody that's walking on the journey of real life. So what if we believed that? What if we were honest enough for people to know us? What if we were safe enough people for other people to let us know them? What if we're not alone anymore? What if we go on that journey? What if we really do create small groups that are like families? One of those small groups in this community, um, Manny Mann, who was in that small group um, a few weeks ago, blogged about her journey in small group and talked about this journey of why small groups are so essential to this journey of Christ. I'd love for you to hear this. This motley crew of 12 individuals, this assortment of friends only God could arrange so wonderfully unexpected. We who have committed to walk with each other through good and bad, this marriage of sorts, this dynamic dozen, this six-pack of married couples, this group we jokingly call the remnant. These strangers that have become friends, these brave souls that share, these scuba divers that swim deeper parts of the gospel together, this place of deep waters and light laughter, this home of people, this marriage of three years now, not one couple leaving, this cocoon of growth, this windy place of freedom and revelations, secrets and mysteries, this banquet table, this gift. It's not all roses and pansies. We have struggled together and separately, each bringing expectations and insecurities. Some expectations and disappointments sit lonely in the back of our hearts, unheard, unexpressed, baggage and sin, pride and shame. It is a struggle to always be at rest with each other, but each have committed to be a resting place. It is a struggle to trust. It is a struggle to get to each other. Babysitters need to be called and paid, babies fed and put to bed, work and schedules tug at sleeves and pull away. But somehow, tattered and worn, we come. For three years now, we have come. I'm getting to know these brave souls better. I see the transformation happening in each one. The good work begun is being finished and we get to work out our salvation together. I'm learning that is what it is, a working, a yeast spreading through dough. Burdens have been carried, meals have been brought and shared, tears have been richly spilled, stories heard, respect grown, disappointment surfaced, but we have not shied away 
doubts of faith shared, questions asked and gently cared for. Among this family of friends, jobs have been lost and gained, leaps of faith taken, family members lost, six new babies born, pets purchased, houses moved out of and into, children prayed for, sickness suffered, stories shared, hopes deferred, hearts that are healed with revelations. Songs have surfaced and art has been made, music produced, beats and rhythms on stage, late night studying, soccer games, nursing programs, tests, diets and cleansing, financial mending, taxes, seminary classes, preaching and lessons, creativity spilled and organized, motherhood and fatherhood entered into, and I am silenced. All these years, I know it's a gift. I can hear the clock ticking. Time is tick-tocking. How long do good gifts last? Only the giver knows. He gives and takes away. When and if he takes this away, I think I'll fight him tooth and nail. I will fight like a toddler, red-faced and clenched fist, angry at the keeper for taking away his gift. Or maybe I won't. Maybe he will prepare us gently for what is next. Or maybe he will never take this gift away, and we will walk all our days together. Tick-tock, tick-tock. For now I rest in the rhythm of the tick and the talk, and in the keeper of the clock. I rest with this group, this gift. Isn't that beautiful? The story of community, the story of a group of people that have committed themselves to journey together. You know what's funny about that group? You may be sitting here this morning going, Wow, I wish I had a group like that. I wish that I could join a group like that. Well, I want to encourage you in understanding this, that when all those people came together, there was no group like that. That group was forged out of the hard work of arguing with one another, their dislikes, their struggles, the times that were inconvenient. It was birthed out of those times where they had to get a babysitter, those nights of getting in your car and driving to small group, and all you're thinking about is, I don't want to go to small group tonight. I don't want to go to small group tonight. And yet they, they pushed through those things because they believed something more than what they felt. They believed that God was doing something. And they, they all wanted to see Christ do something profound in their lives. And they were seeing it through one another. So I just encourage you that you know, the beauty of small group is that we want to see the Lord. And the Lord wants us to see him. And we often do that by seeing each other. So let's go on to the next question. This is equally profound. And that question is, well, why did Dave cut his hair? <laughs> I know many of you uh, are looking at that going, wow, what happened to uh, that leather wife beater? Uh, gee... Now, the next question that is often asked around here is, when is Midtown going to start the basketball league or the Pilates or the badminton league or the bubblegum blowing uh, bubbles uh, team or the knitting squad or the, uh, or the singles ministry or when are we going to start all these things? I mean, it's a pretty common thing. You can go to just about any church this size and go on their website and you can choose what's your flavor, you know, and join it and be a part of it. And this is awesome. We get all together and we're together and we're, you know, we're together. What if, and grab this, what if we were more concerned about what the church looks like out there than we were with what it looks like in here? <laughs> 
What if we began to realize that God wasn't calling us to a holy huddle or to develop Midtown YMCA, but that Lord was drawing us together on Sundays to restore something? We often, when we pray in the back before the services start, and even at 12 South, is we pray, Lord, restore us back to our sanity. Because all throughout the week, we have these moments where things rob us of the truth of what is really true. And we're saying, Lord, bring us back to the sanity of what's true with you. And what if this time on Sunday morning is a restoring time? Where we come and step into the rhythm of God by being still for an hour, hour and a half, giving a day that we say, Lord, I'm going to let this day be a day of rest to where I meditate on you and let you come and bring healing into my own life as a way to prepare us for where he is sending us. You know, it's remarkable. I was with a friend of mine yesterday who uh, goes into prisons and he plays shows in prisons. And I'm asking him, so, dude, why do you do this? Like, you know, what's going on there? What's up with that? And he's talking about it. And he can't talk about it without weeping for the people that he goes and gets to play music for. And it just dawned on me as I was sitting there talking to him. I'm going, bro, you know how powerful it would be if God, instead of sending you, sent angels, like, into prison? Like, if I just turned into an angel right now, do you think you would talk about that? Like, wings, you know, and a bright flaming sword and how powerful that would be or if God, you know, a hand appeared out of nowhere and started writing on this screen, how powerful that would be. But you know what's remarkable is that God doesn't do that. God has chosen not to use angels since the birth of Christ because God has chosen to use you. He's chosen to use me. The Lord loves to take his children and use them in the world. One of the reasons that we don't create the uh, softball team is because we want you guys to go join a bunch of softball teams. See, Jesus said he was the light of the world. But then about 20 verses later, he turned it back on his disciples and said, you're the light of the world. What's remarkable is that the Lord is putting something in us and then he's sending us out, his kids, and say, go shine. Go out into that world and shine. Why would he do that? You know, when my oldest son was a little kid, he uh, came home and wanted to enter, um, you know, one of those Cub Scout boxwood derbies where you get a block of wood and you turn it into a car and you sand it and you paint it and then you gather with a bunch of other kids and their dads, you know, and, uh, and you race one another. And you know, once you get there, who wins or who loses, it really doesn't matter to the kids. But to the dads, it's like... That car right there is a representation of my identity. We're taking this trophy home. So Zach and I were, you know, we sanded and we painted and then he would go to bed and I'd work on it for hours, you know. <laughs> Google fastest car and all this stuff. And you know, I'm joking, but I'm telling you, if, you, if, if you're a dad or you ever competed in that, that first race, you know, and you win, you'd see, yes, you know, you just, mm. But what's remarkable is it takes about two minutes to get there and lose, to realize that the making of that car had nothing to do with who crossed that finish line first. That the purpose of that car was already accomplished before we ever went to the competition. That the time that we had together, that we could put that car up there and say, look what we did. And in reality, when we say we, I say that generously because any dad here that's done it really is, look what I did, you know? (laughs) 
you know, my kid poured paint on it and spilled it and broke the wheel and I had to go and replace it, you know, and all that stuff. And that's the story of us with the Lord, isn't it? Is that, you know, we stand up and go, yes, look what I did. What did you do? You did nothing but enjoy the pleasure of your father saying, I want to work through you. I want to work through you. And we believe that here. We believe that the Lord, our Father, loves. As a matter of fact, it says in Scripture that it is His pleasure to work through you. And your mission field is exactly where you are. And God says, open your eyes and see where I'm working. And then come and stay in the car with me. And why do we do it? Well, we love people. It's true. But you know what we love more? I love the Lord more. I want to know His pleasure. I want to hear the things he has to say to me. I want to experience the joy of being used by the Lord because I just, I love the Lord's presence in my life. So why don't we start all those things? Because I want to kick you out for you to go start all those things so that we can be lights out there. All right, let's move on. Another great question is, why did I cut my hair? I, I don't understand, you know? <laughs> you know, burrito bars, they just wreck you, you know? Now, the final question that I want us to answer together is, why would I even put that up there? I don't know. That's dark, demented. It's, who is that? I know. You know, I was into bodybuilding. It was a long time ago. It was my idol. It was... Serious question. You're going to hear in a few minutes uh, about downtown, about 12 South, and the third congregation that we're praying that the Lord will let us start. And the question is, why would we do that? Doesn't Nashville have enough churches? Don't we have enough churches in Nashville that we would even think about doing something out again? Well, let me take just a few minutes and share with you why we feel the Lord has called us to do this, but he also has called us to continue to do this. That this isn't the end. This is just the beginning of what he's called us on together. And the reason I'm sharing this with you is not so you can say, well, that's really cool that Randy and Joel and the leadership team has that vision. That's awesome. Yeah, way to go. Go get them, guys. No, you got to understand I'm sharing this because I, I want us to have this vision. I want us to lean into it and say, we are one voice. We are one community. We have one call. We have one Lord. And we are operating together to glorify the Lord in this place. As he manifests himself here as Midtown as an expression of his body of Christ. So why would we do it? Well, the first thing I want to tell you is that the Great Commission in Matthew really is about planting churches. Listen to what Jesus said. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. Here at Midtown, when we baptize people, we don't do it in their homes. We don't do it in somebody's living room and I just come over, you know, with a bucket of water. That's not what we do. We always do it in the presence of the community. And we always do it as an expression of worship. Why? Because when someone is baptized, we baptize them into the fellowship of this community. We baptize them into the journey that we all are choosing to share with them. 
That's when you join this community, you take vows. You take public vows to each other and saying, this is where I'm going to live out my journey with one another. That's what Jesus was talking about. Go and build those communities where not only people are confessing that I'm Lord and becoming disciples of mine, but they're also celebrating the sacraments in community that they're being taught. Also, we really believe, not that the Lord just called us to that, but we also believe that the Lord is doing something unique in this city. And that is that the Lord has put very distinct communities all over this city. Not just geographical communities, but also uh, different communities of flavor, different communities of culture, different communities of ethnicity, that they're all over this city. And we really have this belief that... Uh, that everybody in Nashville is not chomping at the bit to come into Rocket Town today and be a part of this community. Or coming into 12 South and being a part of that community. That the expressions of the Lord and worship and styles in this place does not encompass everybody in the city of Nashville. And because of that, we really uh, feel a call by the Lord to go into those communities with worshiping communities to go into those places so that we can build worshiping communities, congregations that are in communities, but they're of that community and they're for that community. Being a light for Christ in that place. You know, because if you come and worship here, you're going to have a different experience if you worship at 12 South. For example, we like air conditioning down here at 12 South. They don't. There's something about hot yoga and worshiping at 12 South that go hand in hand. That day is over, actually, because AC was installed this week. Is that right, Joel? Yes, sir. Yes. So we have more in common than you realize. You will freeze next week. <laughs> See, we really believe, and I want you to hear this, is that we really believe that we are closed-fisted and we are open-hand. When it comes to our theology, we, we are not debating that. And I hope that you realize that we, we have a closed fist when it comes to what we believe here at Midtown. We're not reshaping what we believe every week. We have a firm grasp on, on what we believe and what we teach and what God is calling us to. But what we have a very open hand with is what does that look like in culture? And what that may look like over on the east side of the river or North Nashville or South Nashville or any one of these communities or a service on a Saturday night at 10 o'clock or something like that. That may look very different culturally, and we have a very open hand that the gospel gives us the freedom to be all things to all people to win the more to Christ. To do that, though, we believe that God is calling us not to build a mega church to where we see how many people we can gather into one location, but to send out communities that have hearts for their communities and to be an expression in that community. So we are one church. We have one session, we have one budget, we have one vision, we have one teaching team, we have one Lord. See, the beauty of what we're creating here is like a hand that has many fingers. We have the strength of a large church and all the benefits of teaching and ministries that come with that, but also all the benefits of a smaller church and community and being able to move and respond to the needs of its neighborhood. See, that is our mission here at Midtown. Creating a movement of gospel transformation through multi-congregations. I hope that gives you a little insight as to what the Lord is already done in many of you here in this community. In calling you his own. 
I hope it also gives you a sense of what he's calling us to together and calling you to lean into and to become a part of through small groups and also through service. See, what's really crazy is some of you, let me reword that, all of you have amazing gifts from the Lord. And he's calling each of us to use those gifts for his glory. I trust that maybe together we can all rally around what the Lord is doing here and say, I want to use my gifts in that place. I want to serve the Lord in this place. Lord, give me that voice together with this community. So how are we going to do that? How would we do that? Well, Joel, why don't you come up and, uh, and lead us into what would that look like if, uh, if we believed these things?